0: over hundred years ago there was a, um, an earthquake in a Jap- Japanese seashore village now being accustomed to earthquakes, they, the, the people soon went back to their ordinary activities but above the village where the earthquake happened, an old farmer was watching from his house and he looked at the sea and the water appeared dark and acted very strangely um, he knew that really something serious was about to happen. there was a strange movement of the wind, and the water began to run away from the land and The old man was well aware of what this meant. His one thought was to warn the people of the village. he called his grandson, "Bring me a torch, and be quick and in the fields behind him lay a great crop of rice. He piled. In, you know it was all gathered, he piled the, the, the sort of bags, the sacks of, of the rice together, and he lit it. It was worth a fortune, but he set fire to these sacks of rice and, um, and then he, he ran to get the the bells in the village, pealing as loud as, as he could and, and people said oh he 's mad he 's mad. but as they started to climb the hills to see what was happening, the sea began to rise like a huge high wall and we, we know the devastating effects as it tore into the village the, the down below and destroyed their houses. Uh, apparently he saved about 400 people and uh, he stood among them, he was the poorest of the poor now uh, and yet he was with them as one of them and they were deeply grateful to him. Now, we know about tsunamis. I don't know that I really understood what a tsunami was till what was it, 2004, Boxing Day, I think it was that that particular day. Um, Our gospel is centred around the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour. And Christian commitment is based on self-sacrifice for the Saviour. We can't, as I said in the last session, we can't add to anything that the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished but nevertheless we can say Okay, I have certain rights But I'm willing to lay them down If need be and, and in the context of 1 Corinthians 9 Paul gives us six reasons Why he could be paid As a preacher It's quite interesting uh, If you look at them, verses 1 to 6 He says, I was an apostle Or I am an apostle uh, Verse 7, he says, look, isn't this the usual custom Whoever goes to war It's his own expense who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock. In other words, it's a normal custom. Then thirdly, verses 8 to 11, he says, look, this is the law of God. You know, you don't muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. It should be able to eat the, the ox. Is God concerned about the ox only? Well, he is concerned about the ox, but he's got, he's, he's got a deeper principle here he wants to get across. And then fourthly, yes, it was, it was done for others, And, and no, if they'd be paid, why shouldn't I be paid? Then, fifthly, it was the usual religious pattern, verse 13, that you you gain from what you're involved in. And then, um, verse 14, the sixth point is that even the Lord Jesus commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Now, the interesting thing is, so he has six reasons why he has every right to be paid, But the interesting thing is, he then goes on to say, but I am waiving that right. Waiving the right to a regular salary. And in so doing, he's actually giving us an insight into the supreme cause of the gospel, which he says, okay, I have the right to certain things, but they can go by the way because actually I'm all about the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me decrease, let him increase. Now let's look at it a little bit more carefully. I mean, skipped over those verses briefly. There is in verse twelve an awful, awful possibility. Look at this. If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest look at this, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. What a terrible possibility that I who owe so much to the Lord, I owe my life as well as my salvation, I could actually hinder the gospel. I can advance, uh, sorry, I can hinder the advancing of the cause of the gospel. And one of the ways in which it it can be done is by having a wrong attitude towards money. Ananias and Sapphira. You know, they were hindering the cause of the gospel. Simon the magician. And, the apostle Paul aware of this said "Okay, I'm going to refuse the salary and we know he works as a tent maker etc and uh, he could have charged for the gospel but he said no I don't want to charge for the gospel now as an association um, we we have sort of guiding principles and you know we, we said that we live by faith but it is an issue for us isn't it As do we approach trust funds for money or not and, um, you know, do we actually mention our needs to people? And uh, we, we've tried to grapple with these things from the scripture. But certainly the Apostle Paul is saying, I could have earned money, but I'm not going to do so. I'm about proclaiming the gospel, whatever the cost to me. Dr. Ironside, who I think was at Moody Chapel In the 1950s or so. And uh, an interesting sort of man. He would take great chunks of scripture. He would would expand the scriptures. But he'd take several chapters at a time. For one sermon. It's a different sort of style. Very interesting. But uh, he regularly announced. When the offering was being taken at the church. He said we ask God's people to give generously. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. We don't ask you to give anything. In fact. We have a gift for you. It's a new life through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a great way of putting it. uh, uh, If you look at verse 27, uh, here the Apostle Paul is determined to do God's work with integrity. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified alright, and and uh, I'm going to discipline my body, I'm going to make sure all oh, Roger Carver, all they do, for the words you, don't expand it too long, you'll feel so guilty, but, uh, <laughs> that I'm going to try and make sure my body isn't hindering what the aims of my life are, you know, so I do feed it, and I, <laughs> and I, and I do give it sleep once in a while, but um, not as much at night as I should do, and uh, I make new year you resolutions about exercising as well. Sorry? Do you exercise? I do I? Yeah, I do actually. I, I'm fairly regular in exercise. I exercise the right foot on the accelerator and I exercise, I, I, uh, exercise my jaw as well quite, quite regularly. Um, okay. But so that's about it. I wouldn't want to die on some bridge end pavement trying to shuffle around pretending I'm jogging. It really wouldn't be.
1: wrong with whales. Sorry?
0: Well, I wouldn't want to do it in Yorkshire either. I wouldn't want to do it anywhere. <laughs> so, um, and, and of course, the famous verse in two Corinthians chapter four, verse five: "We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Christ's sake." Uh, there was a, an experience I had some years ago, maybe twenty years ago now. I was asked to speak to the Wesleyan Reform Young People's Annual Conference at Swanwick, and they gave me five titles taken from a book of the Bible, I forgot where it was now and I had to prepare these five talks they came and talked to me, talked with me and went through it, etc and, uh, and it was great to be there 250 young people in whom I could input something spiritually I hope and um, Saturday night they had a band and a concert, etc the treasurer came to me on the Sunday afternoon and he said Roger we just want to give you a gift with some expenses so thank you very much, he said well he said, I think what you'll find you're being given is, is, is adequate But he said, I am resigning, he said, uh, as treasurer, he said, um, what you have been given is fine, but we gave you five talks to prepare, I don't know how long that took you to prepare, you've been here all weekend, but the band that came last night and did what they always do for two hours, hadn't to prepare anything particular, they've done it so many times. They have been given, I think he said, three times what you've been given because they charged. And he said, I just do not agree with it, I'm resigning as treasurer. It was an interesting point, and I forgot what I was given, I'm sure it was adequate. Um, but uh, it's an interesting point, isn't it? It's, is it right to charge? We looked um, in the Northern Men's Convention recently, at asking a, a guy to come from the United States to speak to the Northern Men's Convention. Well, he lives on the western side of the States, and there was a possibility that he'd be open, but he insisted on flying, not business class, but first class, and bringing somebody else with him. Well, that was going to cost more than we take in, in our Northern Men's Convention. It's just going to be over £8,000. I think we thought, mm, maybe, maybe we're led against the, using this. But to my mind, the audacity of this very, very well known speaker, when his brothers and sisters in Christ, in different parts of the world, haven't got food to eat, it somehow just does not ring true. And here is Paul saying, I'm waiving these rights for the sake of the gospel. And, and in the whole realm of money, it's possible, it is possible to hinder the cause of Christ. So Eric Liddell said, we are all missionaries. Whether we go, we either... Sorry, wherever we go, we either bring people nearer to Christ, or we repel them from Christ. And then secondly, from... Um, uh, this passage, there's an awful possibility, but secondly, there is an awesome responsibility verse 16 according to chapter 9 we know it, but it's worth just seeing it again according to chapter 9 I have a part in the proclaiming of the gospel for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of for necessity is laid upon me yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel and then look at verse 23. Now, this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Paul cannot conceive of any other way of being a Christian except as somebody who is constantly proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not an optional extra. It's not just something he feels, okay, once in a while I might just try and witness to somebody. No, 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 no. It, the, the heaviest burden that he carries is the burden that God has laid upon him. And it is the burden for these people round right about, you know, in, in Romans chapter 10. He, 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 he testifies honestly that he himself would be accursed. He, he'd take that upon him if the nation of Israel would be saved. Now that is quite something, I don't know that I could ever pray like that, but Moses in a similar way did. But basically, he's saying, as he said elsewhere, that the love of Christ constrains him. It's love for Christ, it's love from Christ, but it's the love of Christ that constrains me. My heart's desire and prayer for Israel, but God's people, is that they might be saved. How does this burden come? Now, I suspect that the fact that each one of us is here, apart from the binary students who Really, wish we they weren't here, but they have to. But but how does this burden come? I, I, I'm convinced it comes. It comes in the meeting with God in prayer, but it also comes in um, being involved in evangelism. It, it's interesting when the Lord Jesus saw the rich young ruler go away. You know, he he had compassion because he loved him. And it's when the atheist is arrogant, when the young person is just careless, when the old person is self righteous, and we look at them and we think, but but you need the Lord. But for these different reasons, they're saying, no, 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 I don't. Something aches within, doesn't it? Something hurts within. Um, When the plane went down from Buenos Aires to Paris, a couple of days ago, yeah, my immediate thought is always, I wonder how many were Christians and I wonder how many were lost there and, uh, and, and so it goes on, this, this burden that God has given us, it only comes when, when we're involved with non-Christians, praying for them, working for them etc, working for them to become Christians now, for, for my, my own experience if I can just testify and I don't want to make it a personal thing but I, I was a school teacher. I, I, I graduated in, well I went to the university to study law When I saw how many lectures a week there were, sorry, but my dad was a lawyer, it was ingrained within me, and I I thought, "Ah, I really don't want to learn. But I can remember Donoghue and Stevenson, 1932, and that's about it. And uh, I thought, do I want to give my life? Now, I am a West Riding County Council paid evangelist to Southampton University, that's how I saw myself. There were just too many lectures interfering with it so I swapped to sociology and it was
1: so much easier
0: I just had to do four essays in three years I, I really must finish that fourth one sometime and uh, it was such a done I was telling Jonathan Stephen yesterday because he did
1: sociology as well the great doctor uh, <laughs> 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 to be studying
0: Peter Berger's Introduction to Sociology the night before my finals shows how much work I did in sociology. But I, I, and I went into the final of the exams like a snow-covered tree. I'd crammed all night, not drinking coffee, but eating it. You know, the and I went. In, and it, it, if anybody had shaken me. For any reason, talk to me about anything else, All the facts, which have just fallen to the ground and I'm going to be lost. But anyway, there we are. But I, 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 I taught for a number of years, I don't know quite how, because I never trained as a teacher, I never studied the subject I taught. But anyway, I taught. In those days they were desperate for teachers. And, um, uh, but actually, more and more, as a school teacher, I was going out night by night on weekends preaching the gospel, And eventually there grew within me a sense that I I should not be school teaching. I enjoyed teaching most of the time. You love and hate everything, don't you? But most of the time I I loved teaching. But actually I felt, no, God wants me to work as an evangelist. And I began to push doors and there were one or two openings that were offered, but nothing ever seemed quite right. And there was an intensity of, of God wants me to be an evangelist. And when I talked to people who were dismissive of it, Because I grew up in a sort of Christian environment where they really didn't believe in people becoming full-time workers. And they all said, oh, Roger, it's just a lazy option for you, and this this sort of thing. But inwardly, I knew that wasn't the reason. I knew God wanted me to work full-time as an evangelist. And um, I found as well that many of the sort of pleasures of the world lost their pull. I taught for 11 years if you told me when I began teaching that I would become concerned to climb the ladder of success even in education I would have said no, no I'm not really interested in this I just want to get the gospel across but it was amazing as a teacher how you begin to feel mm, I do want promotion and when you're overlooked you, you know, I can just throttle a head teacher and um, that I they did once but that's a different not, not literally but verbally and, um, and um, to my mind nothing could equal the value of seeking to win souls for Jesus Christ. And, uh, I, I, you know, the, the desire to make money. I, yeah, as a school teacher, I wasn't exactly making a fortune. But um, but then to work as an evangelist, it wasn't a, a, a salary raise, I can assure you. And and yet it didn't seem to matter. It didn't matter at all, because there was something more important. And um, I found then that as this restlessness, this broodiness within, increased. I had to go away and seek the Lord and say, God, do you want me to work as a full-time evangelist? And the moment came when I felt, I've just got to do it. And I remember going to see the headmaster and uh, saying to him, um, and Mr. I've just come to say I'm, I'm leaving, I'm handing him my notice And he said, Oh, I didn't know you were looking for another job He said, well, I said, I'm not going into Teaching, I'm going to work as an evangelist And immediately he said, who's going to pay you? I said, oh, I'm sure God will look after Roger, you've got a house and a car And four children, a wife I said, yeah, I am aware of that and, uh, <laughs> and I said, I'm sure God could look after He said, well, will you go and speak to the Bishop of Wakefield About it? I said, I'll go and speak to anybody But I am handing you my notice And uh, And uh, I walked out to the headmaster's study that day, feeling a bit like Bunyan did when he describes Christian losing the burden. You know, a a burden had gone, I knew that was the right thing. (laughs) Um, Let me quote from a missionary, when we arrived in 1937, there were no doctors, no hospitals, no drug stores, no preachers, no communication, no telephones, no aeroplanes. There was just one boat every ten days, weather permitting. But there were 900 Indians and 1,100 others, mostly miners and fishermen in our area. We needed tools to serve these souls and God gave them to us. But first, he gave us a burden. Then the people, then the means. And and, and, I'm convinced of that. First the burden, then the opportunity. (coughs) and then the means. It might be standing up and speaking publicly. Oh, I've got those things. That counts, you know. First the burden, then the people, then the means. Then thirdly, I want you to see that this is to be an absolute priority, making Christ known. Look at verse 12. Um, uh, if others are partakers of this right, over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but Endure all things. And then look at verse 15. But I've used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. He's waiving all his rights. It is impossible to exaggerate the urgency of proclaiming the word of God, the gospel there is nothing, nothing, nothing more urgent. And I don't know, you know if, if, if I was to have God's view on my life, what would God feel about my life? I, I think he would certainly say Roger I wish you'd spent more time praying I wish you'd spent more time reading the Bible I, I'm sure I wish you'd spent less time gossiping, Like gossip, am I being recorded? Oh, right. I don't like gossip. It's a terrible (laughs) um, (laughs) thing. But uh, you know, you know, just chatter, inconsequential chatter. I wish I'd spent less time doing that. Um, But you know, looking back, certainly from when I got involved with evangelistic work at the age of sixteen, I was converted at fifteen. Right through probably into the last four or five years, I suppose every ounce of my energy I sought to give to the Lord's work, and probably, uh, and evangelism, probably excessively. Now, um, I'm just finding that a bit harder, if I'm going to be honest to you. So last night I watched Question Time, and then I watched... um, whatever it was, what was it after that, this, the week, and, um, and I love those two programs. I wouldn't have done that four or five years ago, there's no doubt we didn't have a television four or five years ago, and uh, I would have thought that was a total waste of time. But now I've got to the stage where my body isn't quite functioning as energetically as it was, and I sort of feel I need times to unwind and to rest. I could drive by a hitchhiker now and not pick him up. I could never have done that four or five years ago. I would have, I would have just had to have picked up that hitchhiker. But now I, think, I haven't got the emotional energy to talk to a non-Christian for another 200 miles. Just, you know, I'm just being honest as to where I am. But um, the, the the desire is still there. The, what is more important than sharing the gospel? And um, maybe that's not been the healthiest thing I've. I've done in my life that I've sought with every ounce of energy and, you know, the time that God has given me to make Christ, maybe that has been unbalanced. But I would like to think it'd be possible to live a life where everything is focused on making the best evangelistic message available to all. And if that means... As say, Jonathan Stevens done today, going to Lord's for a day to watch cricket just so that his mind can unwind and he's better equipped to be able to serve the Lord next week. Fine. I never quite saw it like that. I always felt, uh, with Wesley, leisure and I have parted. I could never understand anybody ever wanting to pick up a golf uh, racket. What do they call them? (laughs) That's yeah, thank you. A gold bag and, um, and, and and whack a tiny, defenceless little ball around the course and get a thrill out of it. You know, honestly, it's. I, I never understood that. I still don't, as you probably realise. But, but there we are, each to their own. But the the the, 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 the challenges. We there is nothing, nothing, nothing more important than rescuing the perishing, when. I used to do beach missions down in St. Ives in Cornwall and uh, had some wonderful times there over many years and the copson of, of the lifeboat was a Christian and every year when I was down there there was the lifeboat service at the quay at the opposite the sloop pub and uh, it was very moving when he described how, what sacrifices and lengths they went to to, to, to rescue people who could be perishing. And uh, they were risking their own lives, going off and late at night through the darkness, through tremendous waves and storms, etc., trying to, to rescue people. And if they do that. And he used to say, oh, we're doing this for people who will one day die. And he said, Christ came and he gave everything because he knows there's, knows there's eternity at stake. But, you know, if you'll do that to rescue somebody in that sort of situation, surely, surely we must be willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ. Isabel Kuhn, if you'd never read her missionary to um, Laos, Thailand, I think it would be now, is it? Is it, uh, is it? It's um, still Laos. Is it still Laos? Okay. Still she wrote, uh, she was an American missionary and very, very real. But she said, I was inwardly grumbling about the lack of opportunity to get out and preach, tied as I was to language study and household duties. What is that in thine hand? He, the Lord, asked me. Servants? peddlers who come to the back door. There's always somebody in your hand. Start with them first. Uh, Sometimes we have to lay aside immediate opportunity for the bigger vision, for the bigger goal. But there will always be somebody. There there, will always be some opportunity. What else is important to us? Surely the most important thing is the glory of God and the winning of souls. And then fourthly, I want you to note that there is, um, oh so that is the absolute priority, I should yield my rights to the cause of the gospel. Fourthly, there is an astute activity here and we must be flexible for the cause of the gospel. Look at verse 22, to the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that by all means I might save some. He set aside his rights that he might somehow save some. He didn't parade his liberty to the Jews. Nor did he impose the law on the Gentiles. There was a flexibility about him. Verse 19, look at it. uh, That I might win more. At the end of verse 19. Verse 20. That I might win the Jews. Verse 22. That I might win the weak. And verse 22 again. That by all means I might save some. And then look at chapter 10, verse 33, just also, as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. There is a strategy in evangelism which refuses to be distracted by other avenues of service and and even, dare I say it, now it's important to be on committees and all the rest, but, but refuses to be distracted by committees and attendance of this, that, and the other. And no, no, no. I am going to keep myself focused on winning more, the Jews, the weak, anybody. But my experience is that through my Christian life, the flesh or Satan has had a thousand and one other distractions. And um, you know, they want me to go do this, want me to do that, want me to do the other, etc. Uh, Hudson Taylor said, if I had a thousand lives, I'd give them all to China. I've always been very challenged by that because if I had a thousand lives, I, I, I wouldn't mind one just to see if I could make money in business. So I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. I also, if I had a thousand lives, I'd like to give, I don't know, some, I think, to go and work amongst the really, really poor and to try and alleviate poverty. Um, But in the end, there is suffering here on earth and there is eternal suffering. And the greatest alleviation is the alleviation of eternal suffering, isn't it? Now, don't misunderstand. They often go hand in glove. And those who are giving themselves to alleviate physical, present sufferings, I'm not saying wrong, but there must always be that recognition that there is eternal suffering as well. Let me quote again. This is now from James Fraser. On the human side, evangelistic work on the mission field is like a man going about in a dark, damp valley with a lighted match in his hand, seeking to ignite anything ignitable. Here a shrub, there a tree, here a few sticks, there a heap of leaves. Um, Take fire and give light and warmth long after the kindling match and its bearer have passed on. And this is what God wants to see little patches of fire burning all over the world lovely. You know, I, I, I would love to turn the world upside down tomorrow, or today, or even yesterday would be better. I'd love to hear everybody. Uh, I, sorry, I'd love to be able to speak to everybody. I can't do that. And people don't want to listen to me anyway, and they, they you know, etc. But I can impact my little world. And you can do the same. And what, 20 of us here now? Actually, we, that means we could impact 20 little worlds. It might be the street where we live. It might be the area where we work. It might be our family. It might mean going to some place overseas and working there just to have a light that will continue when we have to leave. But to be able to ignite the light of the Lord Jesus is a wonderful thing. Or to change the metaphor. To be able to cast gospel seed here, there and everywhere and let the Lord perhaps send somebody to... um, I don't know, tend it and uh, maybe water it and he then gives the increase. It's not massively significant, but God is responsible for the breadth of my ministry. I am responsible for the depth of my life. I can look at others and they have much, much better opportunities than I have. But for whatever reason, and it might be my own foolishness, I don't know. uh, But but God is responsible for how many opportunities he wants to give me and how big they're going to be and how influential, and etc. My responsibility is to walk closely and deeply with the Lord. Then he can open doors and um, he can give opportunities. I suppose what this passage is saying is that Paul... He's saying, yeah, I I have my rights, and and actually there are rights here in many areas. He starts on money, but he goes on to others. But he's saying, no, there is something of utmost importance, and that is getting the gospel out. When I am dying, how glad I shall be that the light of my life has been burned out for thee. I'd like to end, and then we'll take some questions, and I may not be able to quote it. I wish I'd got the words with me, but I haven't. There is... In um, the Young Life hymn book, a hymn, which I think is, is just wonderful, it's 299, and I'm going to try, I can't maybe get the first verse, I don't know the second verse, uh, but the third verse I do know and I should be able to remember that one, but, but listen to these words. Um, <laughs> I can't even remember how it begins, just a minute. Um, I'll give you the third verse of the chorus in a minute. Um, Um, uh, the first verse has gone it will come back to me when I get the first line let me give you the, the final verse just listen to these words dear Lord I ask for the eyes that see right, I've got the first verse I'll <laughs> go back. <Let's> go back. <laughs> as I read in the gospel story of the Christ who this earth once trod fancy I see his look on the face the look of the son of God he saw not a number in measureless might but a shepherdless flock distressed and the thought of those fainting, weary sheep brought grief to his troubled breast. That actually is the second verse. But I forgot the first verse. Anyway, let's go for the third verse. Okay, I'm cranking up. Uh, but listen to this third verse. Dear Lord, I ask for the eyes that see, deep down to the world's sore need. I ask for a love that holds not back, but pours out itself in thee. I want the passionate power of prayer that yearns for the great crowd's soul. I want to go amongst the fainting sheep and tell them, my Lord makes hope. And then the chorus. Let me look at the crowd as my Saviour did till my eyes with tears grow dim. Let me look till I pity the wandering sheep and love them for love of him. I I find that very, very moving. And the reason I know it, of course, is I've used it many times in my prayers. And... uh, I just um, to pray that God would give us a similar sort of passion for the lost we may not all be naturally gifted as evangelists but we are all witnesses and some of us may be told to do the work of, of evangelists even though we're primarily uh, pastors but we surely should have a passion for the lost and see the needs of men and women and the plight that they're in without Christ I'll leave it there let's just see if there are some questions you'd like to ask because i finished early And um, I somebody else could answer that. Yes, go on. Um, The
1: passage about the whole article of the salary business. Yes. How do you think that is just Paul saying uh, this is what I did, or is he actually laying a pattern and a paradigm for evangelists and pastors and any Christian workers in
0: inverted commas who who ought to do the same? No, I think uh, I think both of those, but not quite as far as you're saying. I think he is saying this is what I have done. And he does give good reasons why there should be paid ministry. Um, but he's also saying there is a pattern here, a self sacrifice. Um, it's just a tragedy in many ways. You'd have to say that there was no group that said, We'll finance you. You know, perhaps he could have done more, I don't know. Um, but you have to work within the constraints that the Lord has for us. Now I think for us uh, it's perfectly reasonable for somebody to be paid a salary in Christian ministry and work, uh, I think that's right and proper, I think the church has a responsibility to look after those who are in paid ministry within the church but there may be others who say, no I'm going to do what Paul's done and I won't take a salary because I'm going to live, if I have to earn money myself I'll do it and if not I'll rely on the Lord's gifts, but it's interesting when Paul's given gifts he gave them to, you know say the needy in Jerusalem when there was the famine there etc uh, so no I think he's a pattern believer there's a lot to learn from Paul but he doesn't impose everything that he had as a constraint upon himself on us
1: well, have you ever found yourself in situations where you thought it was wise to not say uh, tell the gospel
0: to the people um, I certainly remember talking to an atheist Maybe on two or three occasions this has happened When I felt I'm casting pearls before swine They do not want to know They're just mocking the things that I'm standing for There's no point in continuing to talk to them To try to win them They've so hardened their hearts against God Best to walk away That certainly has happened And there are times, yes, there are often times When I don't feel it's um, Yeah, I could give a very good um, Example of that Uh, I mentioned that i would met my cousins two of whom I've not met since 1979, one of whom I've not met since 1963, when she was four. Uh, So I met my cousins two weeks ago today, and one week ago today, I met them twice. And uh, both at Heathrow Airport, so they were flying back from Cyprus, and they were flying to Cyprus, and they had to stay overnight in London. And uh, so I had an evening out with two of them, and then three of them. Um, And I, would, I really had prayed for opportunities to share the gospel, but through, I just felt things that may have been told about me, I think they were very wary of me. So the first time, we just chatted, they know what I do for a living, we just talked about things, I talked about the Lord a little bit naturally, we had a meal together and I, I said grace, etc. But I didn't talk to them because I just felt, ooh, I, I think they're expecting this and I, I don't think it would be helpful. Then when I met them last Friday, I still didn't go through the gospel as I would have liked to have done. I talked about one or two things that I'd said, the stories of people that I'd met and transformed lives, etc. But they never took it up and bit the bait. So I didn't force it, no. So the answer is, yes, sometimes there's a time to speak and a time Mm. to remain silent. I I, I suppose I could have been wrong in remaining silent but that's what I felt. I was interested in um, you know, We often look back, that we rightly, in many ways, to
2: previous generations and the commitment that they showed. Mm. Very easy to extrapolate from that and sort of say we're not like that. Mm. To a certain extent, that's probably true. Yes. Myself. Having said that, missionary agency that sort of sent people who lasted six months and
1: then, then died a death would probably be prosecuted before much else happened. We do live in a different world we just said. Yes. Extent. Should we? I just, just comment on that.
0: Not really well, yes, I think sometime we, some, some years ago I went up to a crowd of guys to talk to them about the Lord and um, they said to somebody afterwards we nearly stabbed him. And then I thought about it afterwards. Um, would I have gone up to them to talk to them if I'd known there was a possibility of being stabbed? And um, I think at that stage in my life I probably would have done I think at this stage now um, I possibly would have got two or three others to go up with me maybe just to make it a little bit more secure, I would have been slightly wiser Um, I don't know, nobody can criticise the heart of those people who went to to Africa to uh, to uh, to serve the Lord. Was it the wisest thing? And yet, how would you know? How could the gospel have got to them in in a day when there weren't antibiotics?
1: Difficult, isn't it? do you, do you think there's less commitment now than the, than there was before? Do you think that's something that we need to address in preaching ministry
2: and like in conferences that you speak out this kind of thing? Do you Do you want to encourage Christians to be more committed
0: than they are? I do want to encourage Christians to be more committed. Whether there's less commitment, you see, again from John's uh, Hudson Taylor thing, that there's Hudson Taylor, the burden that there are all these Christians in Brighton, just sitting on their pews and singing the hymns, etc., but not really committed. Now, I go to places and I meet people who are very committed, very committed, and desperate to learn, and desperate to serve. But I suppose it is a tip of the iceberg, isn't it? Of the vast majority who... I face temptations now that I never did face before. Uh, and if you told me I would face them uh, years ago, I would have thought, oh, no way. Um, you know, I, 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 there's still certain things within me that, that I can't do. A lot to do with I have a great belief in that every minute should be used. Now I can watch a good film and really enjoy it, but I could never watch a film before 9, 9, 10 o'clock at night because I would feel the daytime is for service. So I'm I'm busy really till a week on Monday. When I get home a week on Monday... I'll be pretty done in I'd love to watch a good film in the afternoon but I never could do I'd have to wait until it was evening then it's alright to unwind watching a film. There, these are these legalistic attitudes within me but I just feel the day is for service you know, if you want to unwind late at night etc and ok, it's not quite right and, um, but the Lord knows the heart I think and even if I've got it wrong which I suspect I have the Lord knows the hearts. So I think I what to answer.
1: Uh, there, there is you know a balance between being, the Bible never causes to be irresponsible, mm. but it does cause to be self-sacrificial. Uh, I remember having chatting with somebody once, and I know reasonably well, who's just reading in my diary. It was a particularly busy patch, and her comment was, yeah, "This is going to hurt you here, here, and here if you do do this and that." Thought about that, and I thought, well, I don't think i mean irresponsible. But if the Bible calls us to sacrifice, sacrifice is got to hurt. It it's not only sacrifice if it's easy; it doesn't cost you anything. And I do think we've lost that. We've become so. I guess it's a bit of a pendulum swing that you know we've been so concerned with being responsible, which is which is good. It's good to be responsible, but so concerned with that that we've anything that costs us anything has become irresponsible and. and so for, for example, I sat in a, a church meeting once one of the most depressing hours of my life in one of the church meeting. <laughs> um, things about like being itinerant, you very rarely have to go to <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, and it was a it was a meeting of evangelism, which was why they'd invited me to give some ideas and some influence. And we bust around some ideas, I gave some, people in the church gave some. Every single idea without fail was shot down with something along the lines of um, that uh, p- people in the congregation won't, don't have time to do that. We're too busy, or they won't really want to do that. Every idea, we ended the meeting with nothing, and the church, as, far as I know, has not done this. Was four years ago. I've stepped up to the church. I haven't done any, any evangelistic things since then. And there was this whole idea. Oh, that will cost us something. Or oh, so perhaps we shouldn't do that. Can we find people cost us something? Because we couldn't, we didn't do anything.
2: Can I I just say one thing, though, that people have different gifts within the church, and I think evangelists are a strange group of people in that their whole focus is in getting getting the words out and reaching people. But we have the gifts of help as... One of the gifts given by the Holy Spirit. And I asked somebody once, um, can every gift lead someone to Christ? And he said, well, they're the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is there, they're there to glorify Christ. So really, essentially, the answer is yes. So within the church congregation, you might have somebody that's serving Christ with their whole heart by taking old women shopping or by looking after a lonely neighbour. Absolutely. So I think sometimes, for evangelists, that's all we see, going out and spreading the Gospel through our our words. I know it's the way we live as well, but there are many aspects to the church, and I think sometimes we can put a heavy burden on a congregation, um, because we all expect everyone to evangelise, when in actual fact they could well be serving God in their own way. Yeah, but the way they Um, serve them still requires sacrifice. Uh, yes, but we, we don't always see their, the sacrifice of what they're doing because they might be in the background doing things that aren't necessarily very obvious to the rest of us. I'm not, I'm not saying there isn't laziness in the church or that we, should, we shouldn't be doing more, but I think sometimes we can actually, for evangelists, I think we can be very condemning of other people within the church congregation.
0: I, I, I think I mentioned, was it yesterday, that there are 27 gifts listed in the New Testament. And I once read a study which listed all 27, so that people have these specific gifts. Say the evangelist is one, but helps is another. And yet, linked to these these 27, were commands in the New Testament for us to do all of these. So even though the 26 of the 27 may not be my gift, nevertheless, elsewhere in Scripture, I'm told to do each of the others. Um, so, I'm told to be involved in the Ministry of Health. I'm told to be a good administrator, etc. Uh, it may not be my prime gift, I'm told to give, uh, and so on. Um, but yes, I think I, I wouldn't, obviously, I'm speaking about evangelism at the moment, but I wouldn't want you to get the impression that there, isn't, there aren't loads of ways to serve the Lord. There, there, there are. Um, and I think sometimes the church leadership isn't very helpful. In utilising the gifts that mm. people have got. There's an old man who packs my prayers and has been doing that for about 20 years. And um, I went first of all to see him and his wife to thank them. She's died now, but he does it himself now. Um, to thank them for packing up my prayers because it's quite a big job folding mm. various things, putting them all in, sticking stamps and labels, etc. And I went to see him and knocked on the door. And he opened the door, saw me, and I had gone to thank him. He said, Oh, Roger, come in. Thank you for giving me a work to do for them Mm. And so there are people who want to serve and don't mm. quite know how. And for you know church leaders, I really think there is a responsibility to mm. say, right, here are people. How do we best utilize their gifts?
1: Yeah, but I, I'm quite interested. Um, self-sacrifice goes hand in hand with any Christian ministry, and particularly evangelism, and particularly, I guess, being away from your family in mm. you know, pastoral ministries to a lesser extent. But there's a, there's a real sense in which when you sacrifice in the ministry, you sacrifice as a family. Um, I just wonder how how you deal with that, particularly with your children and Just you know, practical wisdom mm-hmm. on, and how we help them see. You know, we're sharing in suffering, for sake of
0: Christ. we also sharing in the glory when Practical wisdom on dealing with that. The, uh, it's well, it's a very sensitive thing, obviously, and it's it's a very tough one for for me. When my wife and I had our silver wedding anniversary, um, we had critical of us. We had an evangelistic do. Everything's evangelistic. So we had a dinner, we invited non-Christians, we had a guest speaker, etc. And, um, um, and that's what life's all about, isn't it? We, we had four children for that reason, so we could have four evangelistic Thanksgiving services. <laughs> but um, uh, whilst Dot and I were eating, she, she said, you know Roger, this is fraudulent. And I said, why? And she said, because we've only had six years together. And <laughs> 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 I thought, oh, wait, that probably is true. And it is true, because I'm away nine months of the year. It's, uh, and um, I've not found it easy. I, if, if I'm being very honest, you pay a very, very big price to bring up your children. I look back and I hardly remember seeing them grow up, but that was really tough. Um, now, I'm extremely close to... Well, I'm extremely close to all of my children, but one lives in South America, one lives in New Zealand now. um, So it's not quite easy to be extremely close to them, but the two in England are very close to. And God has been very, very gracious in that they're all saved and they're all serving the Lord, which is extremely gracious of God. But then there's a very well known evangelist who's got five sons, none of whom are believers. That must be intensely burdensome to him. And, as well, you pay a massive, massive price on your marriage, you know, uh, we give, we, Dot and I go on two, three, four, five minute phone calls, if we can every day, but uh, it's often not every day, and you can't maintain the, the, the closeness in a marriage um, that most marriages are about. Uh, now, Dot would say, she said it all along, but I find this much harder than they do. <laughs> When I get home, noise is says, when are you going away? <laughs> and, uh, and, and I find it incredibly hard. Um, I get desperately lonely. I struggle with depression anyway. in a very debilitating sort of way. I take strong medication for that. I see a psychiatrist very regularly over it. Um, so the, there are emotional issues which are bound up in me personally. But I find it very difficult. But a very strong sense that, that this is what God called me to do. Now, I think there'd be some people who'd say, no, God wouldn't call you to do that. He's called you to be a good husband, Mm. you know. And, um, well, in eternity, we'll find out who was right. And I don't say that smugly. Maybe they are right. Don't And I don't easily recommend people to do itinerant evangelism. Um, And I think, possibly, that um, the better thing is to itinerate in a locality uh, so that you can be back home, you're not being away from home a loss of the time. Does that mean what you would change if you had to do it again? Would you change? Well, I, yes, the trouble is, Paul, when I started, there just weren't evangelists around. Nobody was employing evangelists, nobody was encouraging evangelists. To, and so I don't think I had any alternative, really. Um, but if I could start now, I think the better thing to be would be to be an evangelist um, either in a very, so, I think the best job that anybody's got is Rico you know that is fantastic he's got a good church which finances him so that's not a worry which makes him accountable which looks after him where he can minister, where things are going on but they also give him the freedom to go out and do other missions and I think that's marvellous that there aren't many all souls churches around you know there are not many churches that can afford to do that um uh, so, I, I think ideally there needs to be a smaller patch. Um, I think that's ideal. See, even Billy Graham, who's away from home a lot, I'm not minimising the sacrifices he made, but very often his, his wife and his children would come with him. But now, I don't know whether this is being recorded, but it, it's tragedy the way the children have turned on each other, and the marriages have broken up, and you sort of think, oh dear, is this because... Samuel... Well, you read about Samuel going on a circuit, don't you? He, had, he used to go back to Rama, which was his town, but then he'd go on a, a prophetic circuit of villages and towns. But he lost his children. And I, I just feel so grateful to God that our children are saved. But if I was sitting here now and saying,
1: this is how I've lived and my children are lost, I don't know what I'd do. Yeah. Can we pick sure. up on that a bit? Yeah. People have said to me, you know, it's all very well for people to self-sacrifice. And yeah. to go to the mission fields. But it's wrong of people to take their kids from Hudson Taylor. to, you know, four children to die. Carry, you know, similar story. Yeah. Um, You're about that, you know, our children, I guess it's along long lines of what Rob was saying, that our children are joining in with that. Sacrifice is it right for us to put that upon them. As, far as It's
0: a good question again, now my, my wife Dot was always very supportive of what I was doing and she would never be negative about dad going away she tried to encourage the children to pray about what dad was doing it's only two days time, he'll be coming back soon, and I used to bring them presents when I came back, this sort of thing and um, uh Lee Samuel, bless him, who, who, who bless him is in glory now. So, so. <laughs> I'm not praying for the dead, honestly. Lee, <laughs> Lee Samuel wrote to me. My, my wife had cancer in 1986, and he wrote me a letter, and he pleaded with me to to leave itinerant evangelism to look after Dot. And um, um, I talked to him about it, and I said, I just so strongly believe that God has called me to this. Now he may have disagreed. Actually, I don't know. He didn't say if he did. he said, uh, in that case, Richard, he said, may I recommend that you write a long letter to each of your children every week and to your wife? I never did do that, because to write a long letter takes a long time. But from that day onwards, um, I wrote a postcard to my children every day and to my wife. Then the children began separating. One went to university, so I had to write one to (laughs) them and one to the other three. And eventually I was writing five postcards a day to, to the family because they are all scattered. And I basically kept that up, not as much now because of mobile phones. But I talk to my children, apart from Emma in LGT, which is difficult to make contact with, but they, otherwise I talk to my children most days, to my wife, and I'm in constant touch with them, even now. And I think therefore, if you are going to be away from your family, you've got to make up. Try and give them extra time. So we used to play cricket in the garden. I remember, we got a garden on the drive, really. And um, uh, when I was back home, and we loved it, and uh, we, you know, this sort of thing, they loved it, I loved. It. So we were trying to make up, but it wasn't easy because when I was home, they you had to answer the correspondence and duh, 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 et cetera. But I just tried to um, give them extra time, extra treats. There are lots of fathers who are away. Uh, work all day and then come back and don't give their kids any time just sit in front of the telly or whatever go to the pub. Now that's not right. We've got the exemplary as fathers, whilst being willing to sacrifice, but recognising that children have they need a dad and to try to give them that uh, time that, that dad. I used to pray when I was away, quoting the Psalms, Lord, will you be a father to the fatherless while well, I'm away, my wife isn't to be mum and dad to them. But if she can be mum to them. Lord, would You be Father in a special way?
1: It's not quite answered the question. Yeah, you know, there still might be absence of love. But Alice, can you speak anything about the sacrifice, say, putting the child in danger in terms of going to the mission field? Oh well. Wow. Do you want anything on this? It's. I think you know. Part of it is that if we we're confident that God has um, that there's something that God wants us to do, and we can trust him to look after our family uh, in that and to know that that's, that's what's best. At the end of the day, I, I don't and we are only children yet but I, when we have them, I, I don't know what will be the best for them. I, I just don't know that. But the Lord does know that. And so I think if we're if we seem to be obedient, to be prayerful, to be as good a parent as we can be, then we can trust the Lord uh, with, our, uh, with our family uh, to, to do what's those rights uh, for them. I think that's I think
0: The Gospel would never have advanced if it wasn't for human sacrifice, would it? But very easy to say that. But I remember, though, this chap lost a child through dysentery in Tanzania. He worked with MAF. Um, but he said, you know, there are a lot more dangers here at home, electric plugs, busy roads, etc. for children, than there are out in Africa. Which is interesting. We sort of don't think that, do we? But
1: mm-hmm. on, uh, Very interesting. Yes. I'm just going to ask, um, what are some, you answer this for some of the... Um Extreme dangers that you might find as, uh, as an evangelist, particularly male, on the world alone. You mentioned sometimes you feel lonely and all of these things. Um, I just, you know, think of some of the you know, leaders that are falling to various voices um, for various reasons. Um, how sensitive are you to these? Well, on? they, they,
0: they summarised. Sorry, they you say they summarised with three S's and three S's? that am um, trying to remember. self. Silver and sex are the three S's. The three S's are, I suppose, it's females, um, self finances. finances, and what would it be for me? Uh, fame. Fame, finances, and females. <laughs> so it's the same three. Um, 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 sex. I'm not exactly the greatest looker in the world, am I? It's never been a big issue for me. Women have never come flocking after me. Oh, which is a shame, really. But... <laughs> <laughs> and, and the girl I married was blind. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's not really. But, um... but I think she
1: thinks I was when... Anyway, never mind. I think she thinks she was when she met me. But... not you get depressed that you
0: put yourself down all the time. <laughs> Um... Uh, but I have had a rule. Uh, I haven't been able to keep to it strictly all the time. But I more or less have kept to it. I'd never be alone with a girl. Um, so when I, for instance, on Monday I met a girl, a lady worker at um, Highfields, and uh, you know we went out to a cafe and had coffee there. And I'd always do that. And when I had a secretary, uh, I've never. I've tried never to be alone with them. Not that there's ever been any issue of any of them throwing themselves at me, but... Um, And then secondly, um, silver. (laughs) It's not usually an issue in Britain. It might be in the States, but it's not usually in Britain. Again, that's... You know, I've had sufficient to keep me going. There have been times when we've prayed and we've had nothing, and the Lord has provided... Uh, but we've, we've never been in a position where it could have ruined us, I don't think. And then, what's the other one? self uh, pride. <laughs> yeah. uh, we are all naturally pr- proud, aren't we? But I haven't got much to be proud about. <laughs> and it's a funny thing when people sometimes come up to me and, and you need feedback after a sermon. If, if nobody gives you any feedback, it's quite concerning. Um, and there's a church I go to where nobody ever says anything, but they do invite me back for some reason. But if, if people come and say, oh, Roger, that was wonderful, or whatever it is, it doesn't do anything for me. I don't know why, but it just doesn't. But if it did, um, I... Uh, Corrie Ten Boom, you know Corrie Ten Boom, she used to say, when I go around and preach or speak to you, I suppose, um, people used to, as it were, come up and say, thanks very much, that was wonderful, and what a blessing it was, etc. She, she said, I treat that as if they've given me a rose, but at the end of the day, I love to give back to the Lord a bouquet of roses. In other words, if somebody said, Oh, that was a great word, you don't say, No, it wasn't. But I say, Well, praise God, you know. And, uh, but then at the end of the day, Lord, I give you back all the praise.